0: All right. Good morning again. If you want to have a seat, that'd be awesome. So good to see you all. What'd you think? Weren't those kids awesome? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, it was, uh, some of you were looking at your kids with pride. Some of you were looking at your kids with embarrassment. Um, it was all, it's all good. It's all good. They, uh, they are so sweet, and it's, uh, it's amazing to think, I mean, right after the kids got up, Caleb got up, and <laughs> doesn't seem that long ago that he was up up here doing, you know, a little miniature Caleb, I guess you could call it, doing the same thing. Pretty, pretty sweet, pretty great. And um, I loved uh, the whole crew, tr- crew, troop that were at uh, R.C. McDonald, uh, leading us in the Advent reading, wasn't that great? So good. Guys, what a great thing. Love that imagery, just the fact that we're out in the community. It's a big part of who we are here at Hillside. Love it. Well, again, if I haven't said it already, we're really glad you're here this morning, both in person and online. And and, uh, we're in this third Sunday of Advent, and uh, we're stepping out of our series in Matthew to kind of reflect for a couple weeks on Advent, on preparing for the coming of Jesus and his good news And so if you have a Bible this morning, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. It was a passage that was read by Ari this morning. and uh, Or, no, it wasn't Ari, but uh, the children. And it reads in the beginning of verse 2 of Isaiah 9, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. You know, one of the uh, first signs of the coming of Christmas is the lights, right? I love the lights. Uh, in fact, last, a couple weeks ago, I was out by myself putting up lights treacherously on my ladder, and then we decided we didn't have enough light, so yesterday my son and I got out and we actually strung lights in a tree uh, at the direction of, of his mother, and uh, we managed to get lights up and just in time for dusk, and I, I tell you, Caleb and I, we walked out to the end of the driveway, we looked back on our house at the whole light display that was on there. I'm sure we're going to make it in the, the Tri-City News for sure as a drive-by location, not, But we looked at our lights with pleasure, and I said, it is good. Actually, the the very first words that we have God speaking in Scripture, four words, we find them in Genesis 1, and what did he say? Let there be light. And of course, he went on to say, it is good. Now, of course, darkness entered the human story, and God wanted to speak again, but this time he would speak or, or, or turn on the light in a whole new way. Um, Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, who himself, if you read about the context of when he lived and where he lived, he lived in very, very dark days. And he looked ahead with hope and anticipation of the, the coming of the one who would bring the light. And he gave this word from God saying, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so, the lights that we hang on our Christmas trees and hang on our homes are not just meant to be pretty or decorative, they're actually symbolic. They're meant to point to something so meaningful, so wonderful, and mysterious, and awesome that God has done. Now, for us to grasp the wonder and the truth of Christmas, we also have to get this idea. That our world is indeed a very dark, dark place. And without Jesus, we'll find ourselves kind of bumping around and stumbling around in the dark. Uh, Matthew uh, quotes these verses in Isaiah, uh, in Matthew 4, saying that Jesus was the light who dawned on people in darkness. In John, in chapter one of John, he'd say this about Jesus. He said, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now, how is the world dark? Um, Tim Keller, a highly regarded pastor from New York, helped me think about this in his book, Hidden Christmas, and it really inspired this sermon. But he talks about how, how in Scripture the word darkness refers both to evil and also to ignorance which means that the world is, is filled with all kinds of evil and, and suffering. We, we sometimes uh, might say of some bad thing, oh, that's dark, right? But if you were to look at what was happening at, uh, around the time of Jesus' birth, things were dark. I mean, oppression and violence and, and all kinds of injustice, and young Jesus and his family actually had to flee violence uh, and become refugees. And the darkness and the evil then is actually not so different than the darkness and evil that we see around our world today. But the second feature of the world's darkness is what you might call ignorance, where no one knows enough to actually be able to fix all the evil and suffering in the world. I mean, Isaiah talks about this. He talks about people walking in darkness, but it's actually in the last verses of chapter 8 where Isaiah where he explains why we need this light that comes from God. In, in verses 19 and 20, people are, are actually looking to everybody. They're consulting everybody but God for help. I mean, they're, they're going to the magicians, the mediums, the scholars. And it goes on to say in verse 21, it says, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. You've got some seriously poetic language here, but what Isaiah is saying, what is he describing when he says they will look to the earth, is that they will look to their human resources to fix the world. They're they're looking to their experts, their mystics, their their doctors, their scholars, their their leaders to, to solve the world's problems. You see, it doesn't take much observation or learning to see that the world is dark, but they think they can overcome the darkness themselves. That's actually a, a pretty good description of the world we live in today. You know, people think, yeah, the world's messed up. It's pretty broken. It is actually pretty dark. But let's put our best minds to this. Let's let's look to the government. Let's let's look to the smart people, the really smart people, the Bill Gates in the world, the Bill and Melinda Foundation. Let's look to the rich people, and and together we can kind of solve this. I think of the big deal last month. Uh, You've you probably saw it in the news about space tourism. Right, And everyone was kind of critiquing people like Elon Musk and, and Jeff Bezos of Google and so, so forth, on their extravagant expenditures going up into space and saying, couldn't you use that to solve world hunger? I thought Elon Musk's uh, kind of response was actually kind of wise, where he said, you tell me, and he, they talked about, if you just gave like a percentage, like 7 billion of your income, you could solve world hunger. And he says, tell me how my 7 billion billion." would actually solve world hunger. Really referring to just how does, I might be able to relieve hunger, but to solve world hunger is a little bit beyond me. Even he was humble in that moment, I think. But we do this as a culture. We look to the rich. Uh, we really look to technology, don't we? We, we look to our government or, or education. If we could just give people the right content, you know, the right understanding about how things work, that would bring about the kind of change needed. It reminded me this week of that old Coca-Cola ad from the 1970s. Some of you were not even a twinkle in your mother's eye back then. But, but uh, think of a hilltop, a uh, beautiful sunny day, and singers from all over the world, every nation, every tribe, kind of singing on this um, uh, hillside. And they sang this song wearing these great 70s outfits. Uh, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. And it goes on to, to describe with great optimism um, how together we might actually bring about harmony and love and peace in the world. Um, of course, the song ends with, I'd like to buy the world a Coke <laughs> and keep it company. Great, great marketing. As Tim Keller concludes, he says, the message of Christmas is not that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. Actually, it's the exact opposite. Humanity is cannot save itself. In fact, the belief that we can save ourselves, that some political system or ideology can fix human problems, has only led to more darkness. So this is why we need the message of Christmas, because Scripture never suggests that we can fix darkness ourselves. It doesn't propose that we can fix things if we just kind of work hard enough, if we just come together enough and and try hard enough. On the other side, it doesn't agree with the pessimists who only see a bleak and dystopian type of future. Again, Keller puts it this way. The message of Christianity is, instead, things really are this bad, and we can't heal ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there's hope. Because the message of Christmas is On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. A light that that has actually dawned from outside the world, not from within it. Jesus has has brought that light to save us. In fact, John says that Jesus is the light of the world. Now, a light dawning, um, the image points to a sunrise, right? The sun, you know, creating a new day in a dark world. And Isaiah uses the sun as a symbol. And sunlight brings us three things brings us life, brings us truth, and it brings us beauty. First of all, the sun brings life. Uh, this is why in BC winters especially, you ought to from time to time take vitamin D supplements because we just don't get enough sun where we live. And the sun actually nourishes the planet and nourishes us, right? The sun is the source of all life. And the sun ought to be a pointer to God because scripture says God is the one who brings life. Acts 17 says that in him we live and we move and we have our being. We exist because God upholds us and he keeps us together moment by moment. Secondly, the sun shows us truth. Um, now you've all discovered this in your life, that light is actually helpful because it shows you what is. What is? And it's helpful when you're walking in a dark woods at night and the light reveals that that dark, scary shape that could be an enemy or an animal is indeed just a stump, right? Or it's helpful when you're on the road at night and you're driving and it helps you see what's there so that you might not crash. What light does is it reveals the truth of things and how things really are. And again, the light points us to God because Scripture says God is the source of all truth. Just read 1 John if you want to read more on that. At one level, the only reason that you can know anything at all is because of God. God gave you your mind, He gave you your ways of interacting with the world, He gave you your five senses. And really, the only way we can know who God is is by God kind of revealing Himself to us. Yeah. Number three, the sun is beautiful. Uh, Think sunrises and sunsets. You ever been, uh, you have been, a rainy BC day? (laughs) Yeah, yesterday, the day before. (laughs) Uh, And uh, late in the day, uh, somehow the rain stops and sun breaks in. And doesn't something in your heart go, wow, isn't that beautiful? I think of uh, a, a sunny November day, After 20 days of rain, and my heart goes really, wow, right? Um, The thing is, sun can literally lift up your heart and can bring joy to you. Think of places in in the winter where it's so dark that people suffer from depression or, or seasonal affective disorder. We need light for joy. And Scripture makes it clear that God is the ultimate source of all joy. I mean, as Augustine once said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And Augustine understood that even when you're enjoying something else in your life, that God is actually the source of your joy. The thing that you love is, is from him. It, it's enjoyable or, or beautiful because it bears his signature. All, all joy is really found from God because ultimately what we're, we're longing for and looking for is, is him, whether we know it or not. And so, so God alone is our our life and our truth and our joy that we don't have and, and actually can't kind of muster up or produce on our own. And verse 6 and 7 of Isaiah 9 tells us where this light comes from. For to us a child is born. And we're told this infant child brings the light because he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. By the way, I've always loved this passage because uh, when I was... In middle school, I sang in a boys' choir. Yes, I did. That that was me. I loved to sing. I loved to sing back then. And uh, I started in grade six as a soprano, which means I sang really high, which I can't do very well now. Uh, And then by grade eight, I was singing tenor bass, and now I'm up bass. Um, But every Christmas during those three years that I was in this choir, we sang part of Handel's Messiah. In Handel's Messiah, one of the songs would actually take the, its words right from Isaiah chapter 9. And so we, we sang this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, uh, and on uh, his name shall be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I wanted to sing it to you this morning, but I thought I better not. Didn't want you to flee the room. But during that season of my life, I remember having a lot of confusion and doubt about faith. But somehow these words seemed to carry weight as we sang them. And they had the ring of truth. What's remarkable about these four titles given this child is they appropriately only belong to God himself. Think about the two middle descriptors. Mighty God and Everlasting Father. This is Creator God, the maker of everything that is. And now born a baby, entirely helpless and dependent. I've, I've said this before, but if I was writing the story of, of God coming as a human being, it would be more like Thor arriving in a flash of light, strong male, uh, not male, strong warrior man <laughs> with a hammer in hand, right? That'd be my image. Folks, the, the coming of God as a baby, there's nothing like this claim. And, in just any other major religion. He's a human being, and yet, at the same time, he's God. It's why at Christmas, we sing and we get excited about this news. It's audaciously wonderful. Now, let me just touch on a couple implications of of God being born into our world. First, if Jesus really is mighty God and everlasting Father, as Keller says, you can't just Like him, you see in Scripture, no one who actually heard Jesus or saw Jesus speak or or took uh, note of his claims, you know, they they never ever responded with kind of a ho hum indifference. You know, once people heard his claims, they were either scared or furious at him, or they knelt down before him and worshipped. You know, nobody ever said, "What an inspiring guy! What what a cool teacher! Makes me want to live a better life." If the baby born at Christmas is the mighty God, it demands a serious response. It means that he demands our, our whole lives as a response, our, our life service and our devotion. That's the logical response if Jesus is God. But secondly, if, if Jesus is wonderful counselor and prince of peace, we should want to serve him. I love that, that he's called counselor. It's an interesting term to describe. Them. You know, when we're going through something really difficult, it can be really helpful to go to a counselor for, for guidance and for, for direction and, and for understanding. But you actually want somebody who kind of has lived a little, right? You probably wouldn't go to a middle schooler for counsel. This is just a thought. Maybe you would. Weird. Uh, you, you want somebody who's, who's maybe walked a little bit in your shoes, right? Like... uh. One of my Catholic buddies uh, once said to me, he says, Derwin, if I ever have marriage trouble, I'm coming to you. I'm, I'm not coming to my priest because he knows the content, you know the practice. <laughs> That's what he said. Again, as Keller says, if God has really been born in a manger, then we have something no other religion claims to have. It's a God who truly understands you, get this, from the inside of your experience. There's no other religion that says God has suffered, that God had to be courageous, that He knows what it's like to be abandoned by friends or be crushed by injusti- injustice, to be tortured and die. You see, Christmas shows us that He actually knows what you're going through. You're never truly alone in your experience. When, when you talk to Him, He gets it, He understands you. What a gift! And Isaiah calls him Wonderful Counselor, which means he's beautiful. I mean, just the way he came, the fact that that he came and was born to peasant parents in in a backwater farmyard is, is a glimpse of why he's so wonderful. Think about it. He had the infinite height of being mighty God. And yet he became one of us, joining to us in our fragility and our, our, our weakness in order to know our darkness. He then saves us by, by going to the cross and he does so voluntarily, you know, freely out of his great love. It's just, guys, it's a stunning deal. And, and when we understand the, the, the beauty of his life and his sacrifice, it, it actually reframes our whole lives, actually. If, if we have a God that loved us so much to die for us, we just know how much we are then loved. And that can give you self-esteem you cannot get from in our world. And so the reason we obey him is not simply because he's God and and we have to obey him, but because we want to in light of all he is and and all he's done for us. To sum up, Jesus is the light of the world and he brings life to to replace our spiritual deadness. And And he brings truth to to free us from our spiritual blindness. And because he's beautiful, he can break the power of our addiction to darkness. And he's the wonderful counselor who walks with us through all of our lives, and even to the end of our life, you know, and, and leads us on the path of peace. As Tolkien said, he, he's a light for us when all other lights go out. How can this light be ours? Well, notice it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son a child is given. Jesus is a gift to be received. Later on in Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, famous passage, we're told that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. When Jesus went to the cross, he paid the penalty for our brokenness, for our Our darkness and sin and when we trust and and put our faith in Jesus's work on our behalf rather than in our own efforts to try and fix our own lives you know to try and correct our brokenness God does this amazing thing God forgives us and gives us his spirit to change us and transform us from the inside out he he shines a light into you that that begins to change you for the rest of your days this, this, this wonderful gift, really the only way that you can unpack it, the only way that you can kind of receive it is actually owning up to the fact that you really need it. You have to know you need it to understand that this is something you don't deserve. It's an, you haven't earned it. it it's an undeserved grace. You know, Christmas is all about the receiving and giving of presents and gifts and, but the deal is that some gifts are easier to receive than others, like, for example, on Christmas Day, if I was to open a gift from my family, and it was a piece of exercise equipment that I had not specifically asked for, you know, I don't know how happy I'd be about that, or uh, a, a couple books on dieting, or, or, or a book that was titled Overcoming Selfishness. Um, that, I don't know if I'd receive those gifts quite so graciously as I might chocolate, by the way. be very different. Some gifts are easier to receive because, or hard to receive actually, because to do so would be to admit that you have brokenness and flaws and, and that somehow at, at your base level there's a, a foundational weakness and you need help. And if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever really been bailed out by somebody, somebody really had to step into your life and, and rescue you in some, some real way, there's a swallowing of pride that goes on. And friends, there's there's never been a gift that'll make you swallow your pride like the gift that Jesus requires us to do so. Christmas means that we are so lost, we are so unable to save ourselves that nothing less than the coming of the Son of God and the death of the Son of God could save us. That means that we're not somebody who can pull ourselves together on our own in order to live a good life. To accept that the true christmas gift you have to actually own up to the fact that you're a sinner that you need saving that you need to be saved by grace and you also need to be willing to kind of give up control of your life for some of us that's easier to do than others for some where, where your life has just got chaotic and and you can see the darkness and you go well you know and, and you might ask yourself how am i doing so far and you know you need a savior. You know you, you, you need a different way. And, and it becomes real obvious for you. And for others, uh, this is going to be an obstacle because you've you got a pretty comfortable existence going on. But we have to do that. We have to be willing to, to give up control of our life and allow Jesus to now lead our lives. And yet, listen to this. Our text concludes with this promise in verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. I think we sometimes get the, this idea. I certainly held this idea for a lot of my life that if I, I, I were to turn over the control of my life to God that somehow it wouldn't be good. That somehow I'd be losing out in some way. But here's the thing. Jesus is a great leader. He knows actually what is the very best for your life and he has only good intended toward you and as the prince of peace as we turn our lives over to him he leads us in the pathway of peace giving us a peace that will know no end in our lives this christmas let's remember that on people living in darkness a light has dawned a child's been born a child's been given and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Why don't we just bow our heads for a minute and pray and respond? For some of you uh, this morning, this is like refresher. You've lived this. You've known this. You've you've cherish this story and you love singing these songs in response for you this christmas maybe literally just to to again carve out space in your life to recognize and give thanks and to worship to keep on saying thank you jesus it means the world that you came thank you for all you've done for me and so this this christmas i'd encourage you to to take time to prepare again for his coming to to uh set aside the clutter and the busyness and just remember who it is that's come. For some of you, this, this Christmas, this could be it. This could be a defining moment for your life where you actually uh, recognize you can't do it on your own and that you need a Savior, that you, you need all that, that Jesus is, both mighty God and everlasting Father, but also Wonderful counselor and prince of peace. Maybe up to this point in your life, you've just kind of been an admirer of Jesus, a fan. And Jesus wants to come in and renovate your life and bring you hope and a reason to live. Uh, He's the, the son who brings life and brings truth and brings joy. And he wants to bring all of that to bear on your life. And so this, this Christmas might be the time where you actually unwrap that gift. And you can do that in this moment right now. Just say, Lord, in your own heart, I know I'm dark. I, I know I've lived in darkness. And I know I don't know how to fix my life. I pray, would you forgive me? And would you come into my life and lead me? I, I give you my life and For anyone who prays that, who prays something like that, Jesus promises to come in and make you a brand new person inside and fill you with his spirit and give you power to live the life he's called you to live. So, Father, this Christmas, may each of us, whatever gift you have for us this Christmas, I pray, give us courage to open it, to receive it with humility. And to, to follow you into the ways you've called us to. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, want to, to just, we're going to wrap up. We're, we're um, going to invite you to uh, get out of here in a minute. We get to do this all again and have more kids. It's going to be great. But a couple things, first of all. I want to encourage you. Would you... Really be praying for us. It, it has been a lot of hurdles for this event that's coming this coming Saturday and uh, We have I think hundred and sixty guests that we're serving a, a meal to and we've got door prizes out the wazoo It's gonna be a great party. I bumped into at the supermarket yesterday one of the families a, a new Canadian family who recognized me and, and said we're coming to the party on Saturday and they were so excited and the, the other big question they had is, are you going to be Santa again this year? And I, I thought it was a secret that I was Santa that the last time we did this. And it turns out, no. Um, yes, I guess I will be. So their kids will be no surprise. Uh, but all the same, we just, we just want to love on them. And So would you pray that that is a, a lavish, wonderful affair and that all the obstacles that uh, seem to come with putting this on would be overcome? Um, we are reintroducing prayer at the end of our services in terms of we will have we have prayer ministry at the front so if you ever need prayer on one of our Sunday mornings you can come up to the front and be, and count on being prayed for and so I want to encourage you we believe um, that God hears us when we call when we come to him with our needs sometimes just actually coming to the front uh, is almost a sign of your humility <laughs> that I need help and uh, and so this morning I just want to encourage you if you have a prayer request and we have a small prayer team, uh, and so uh, if you need to, just sit and wait at the, uh, in one of these front seats, and, and uh, someone will be glad to pray with you if you have a need. But why don't I uh, end with just this benediction? Why don't you stand together? Let me offer you this blessing. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ And the love of God, our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. God bless you.